The English Eccentric by E. O. Higgins. In 1765, a distinguished French scholar by the name of Pierre Jean Grossly visited England for the first time and was struck by the level of eccentricity he observed in the natives. Writing home on the subject, he noted that this unusual behaviour he had observed could be attributed to a mixture of fogs, beef and beer, aggravated by the tedium of the English Sunday. Author Lewis Carroll says of the protagonist in Alice in Wonderland, she's bonkers, completely off her head. But I'll tell you a secret, all the best people are. In Wonderland that might be true, but in my experience, in Sunderland, eh, not so much. But what is eccentricity? Well, I was going to talk about this, but my friend Fiona says this bit's too long and boring. So you're on your own. Yeah, she's a harridan. Ferguson's Gang 1927 to circa 1947 The Militia Wing of the National Trust Kate the Nugs, 500 pounds to the National Trust. A masked woman described by her card as Kate O'Brien the Nark called at the offices of the National Trust. She handed over a Bank of England note for 500 pounds, in part payment of a purchase and endowment for the Newton Old Town Hall, Isle of Wight, which the Ferguson's gang is presenting to the Trust. Kate O'Brien left without removing her mask. A little while ago, the gang bought and endowed Shelford Mill near Guildford for the trust. The money was taken to the office by masked members of the gang, Red Biddy and Herb the Smasher. In 1927, an enigmatic anarchic group of well-heeled women, calling themselves Ferguson's Gang, got together in secret with the aim of protecting historic buildings in the UK from demolition and conserving landscapes and views of outstanding natural beauty. Though being a bit silly was also factored in for good measure. Described in Robert Fedden's History of the National Trust, The Continuing Purpose, 1968, as Elected by secret ballot, the members of this saintly mafia swear to follow their leader Ferguson in preserving England. Except there was no Ferguson. Even the group's name was meant to mislead. The gang, hiding behind masks and peculiar pseudonyms, were moved to action by the Trust's protection of Stonehenge. Before the National Trust got involved, the ancient stone circle was in danger of being destroyed as it had become common practice for visitors to chip off chunks from the stones and keep them as souvenirs. Evidently, the gang were also inspired by the publication of England and the Octopus, 1928, by Bertram Clough Williams Ellis, the multi-surnamed Welsh architect, 
now chiefly known as the creator of the Italianate village of Port Miriam in North Wales. Set of the 1960s cult TV show, The Prisoner. In the book, Clough William Ellis rails about the inappropriate post-war development and imagined the great when, that is London, spreading its tentacles across the countryside. The mysterious Ferguson's gang set to work, determined to stem the flow of ugly, characterless development and retain as monument some of England's places of cultural significance. The inner circle of gang members included right bloody Lord Beershop of the Gladstone Islands and McCurter's projection, Red Biddy, Bill Stickers, Sister Agatha, Herb the Smasher, Kate O'Brien the Narc, See Me Run and Black Mariah. The gang wrote up their exploits in their club book known as The Boo, so called allegedly because whoever tried to write the word book on the front cover made a poor fist of it and was overambitious in estimating the size of the letters. In this book, uh, Boo, sorry, the gang religiously recorded their activities, which they did, presumably in an effort to further deepen the mystery in a sort of ludicrous faux cockney that would make Dick Van Dyke blush. One anonymous entry filed in Whitechapel on the 4th of November 1933 is an account of how one masked and apparently armed gang member made a payment of £20 to the National Trust. I asked to report that I got your parcel all right and I goes round in the mercy to address you says and leaves the mercy behind another car to one side and obscures the numbers and goes and rings the bell. I didn't know which but I guessed that their elderly bemedled menial finds me wearing the mask and says are you from the gang and I says ah I must see your secretary personal and he says all right and goes and sees and then he asks me to come along and I comes and I get so nervous my finger shakes on the trigger and my gun nearly goes off and he'd have called the cops but it doesn't and I ands him their paper and their boodle and asks if I can smoke a fag and he says yes and he's glad to see me and he rings the bell and a typewriter comes in and I ask them both covered and I says I want a receipt afore I gives them the boodle and they gives me it and also attract what I send you now and then suddenly I makes my getaway before they know what's what and I'm down Victoria Street doing 80 and that's my story. I hopes it's all right. Ooh. Though the gang's campaigns took different forms, their raids always supported the National Trust. Sometimes this involved raising money and buying specific land and properties outright, or sometimes just donating cash to help the trust carry out its own plans. Mostly it involved delivering money to the beleaguered trust secretary in heavy disguise and via a variety of peculiar methods. 
At times, cash was thrown onto the secretary's desk by masked members of the gang with banknotes wrapped around cigars or placed inside miniature liqueur bottles. On one occasion, they threaded antique Victorian coins inside the carcass of a goose for him. One of the gang's early successes was with Shalford Mill, an 18th century water mill in Surrey that had fallen into disrepair after the First World War. At the time, the potential loss of such buildings, which today would be considered national treasures, was deemed the business of the landowner. Consequently, most old buildings that were no longer judged useful were promptly razed to the ground. In danger of being demolished and its timbers sold off and the land marketed as building plots, gang members Bill Stickers and Sister Agatha rocked up at the site of Shalford Mill and persuaded the Godwin Austin estate to donate it to the National Trust, on the understanding that they would stump up the cash to get it repaired and pay for the running costs. Apparently unfazed by the fact the two women wore masks during negotiations and spoke only in terrible Cockney accents, a deal was agreed. Repairs to the mill were supervised by the conservation architect John Eric Myers McGregor, who was in the orbit of the gang and was later given the alias the Artichoke. He and his family used Shelford Mill as a weekend retreat from there on, and indeed his daughter Joanna Bagnall is the current tenant. Apparently the head of the Godwin Austin estate, Major Arthur Godwin Austin, was so impressed with the gang that he sought admittance to the club, and was later accepted, being given the title of the Pious Yardis Thera. From 1932 until around 1966, Ferguson's gang had its headquarters at Shalford Mill. They would typically turn up by chauffeur-driven cars and have boozy all-night parties known as hauntings. Lord Beershop was described as arriving at one of the gang's AGMs wearing a diadem, tunic, cape, liturgical boots and running shorts. She later claimed to be relieved that no one else at the party had turned up in the same outfit. Shalford locals typically knew when the gang was in session, as delivery vans from London's famous Fortnum and Mason department store could invariably be seen inhabiting the lanes outside the mill when the gang was in residence. Meals of pheasant, duck, lobster and crates of fine champagne were all delivered and fastidiously logged in the boo. The gang's masks that they used for their various raids were usually purchased at Harrods. New laws introduced around death duties which had seen a state tax rise to 50% in 1930 made demolition of expensive to maintain properties and sale of land for development the easiest option at probate. This appalled Ferguson's gang, and throughout the 1930s and 40s, they made it their business to raise vast bundles of oof to pay for restoration work to historic buildings and create endowments for the National Trust. The gang also purchased vast stretches of the Cornish coastline and land in Devon, Wiltshire, Derbyshire and the Lake District. Whilst it was true that the gang's Cockney accents weren't necessarily convincing, Fortunately, as it turns out, their PR skills were. Although the gang certainly did not court the press, their peculiar behaviour attracted a lot of publicity. 
For example, on one occasion they caused a bomb scare at the National Trust AGM after they left a metal pineapple on a table, which contained £100 in cash, and it was mistaken for a hand grenade. Their combination of peculiar behaviour and important work captured the public's imagination, made for a lot of column inches, and more importantly, helped raise a lot of money. When the gang disbanded in 1940, they had raised the equivalent of well over £500,000 in modern money for the National Trust. They'd also saved Shalford Mill, the old town at Newton on the Isle of Wight, the Priory Cottages in Steventon in Oxfordshire, and purchased miles of beautiful Cornish coastline, which in the 1930s was in danger of being redeveloped, but which today is recognised as one of the country's areas of outstanding natural beauty and is, consequently, a major UK holiday destination. Only two members of Ferguson's gang have ever been officially identified. Red Biddy, whose sobriquet alludes to a um, cocktail, often drunk by homeless people in the last century, comprising of cheap red wine and methylated spirits, has now been revealed to be Dr. Rachel Pinney, a developmental psychologist and peace activist. Pinney, who died in 1995, was known for her peculiar behaviour, and as such, in the last 30 years of her life, as an unusual form of protest against nuclear weapons, maintained a vow of silence. On Wednesdays. The year after Pinney died, an obituary for a 93-year-old Margaret Peggy Pollard ran in the UK newspaper The Independent. The great-niece of the reforming Liberal Prime Minister William Gladstone, Pollard was a Cambridge University Sanskrit scholar. In the obituary she is described as intensely practical, an expert embroiderer, and an authority on goats. It also disclosed that she was one of the gang's key personnel. Bill Stickers Following the death of her husband in 1968, Pollard gave away most of her inherited wealth to live in a ramshackle one-up, two-down tin miners cottage in Truro, where she concentrated her efforts on creating a piece of C.S. Lewis-themed embroidery that was more than 1,300 feet long and becoming a Cornish bard. As part of its nationwide Women in Power campaign, the National Trust commissioned Saved by Ferguson's Gang flags, hand stamps and octopus-themed poster designs at the various historic sites that they had rescued. Through their odd behaviour and strange methods, Ferguson's Gang successfully trained a spotlight on the National Trust, helping to transform it from a small and underfunded body into the mighty 4 million member-strong Heritage Trust that it is today. And it seems that Fortnum and Masons and Harrods did pretty well out of them too. This is a bonus episode written for Patreon subscriber Vanessa Laureen. She wears a lot of hats. <laughs>